You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ben Nagy, from Smart TV Communications, and Michael Blaine from Smart Communications, who is producing this episode. As we have done for the past year, we are recording remotely due to the pandemic. Welcome to the 15th episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada. This episode is focused on workplace and safety issues impacting our freight rail brothers and sisters. Our featured guests are Smart TD Kansas State Legislative Director Ty Dragoo and Smart TD Nebraska State Legislative Director Bob Borgensen. Both came into the industry from railroad families and have been instrumental in helping to mobilize smart members and move state-level rail legislation. Brother Dragoo followed his father into the railroad industry and hired on as a conductor for Union Pacific in 2005. Two months later, he became legislative representative of Local 1503 in Marysville, Kansas. He has been Kansas State Legislative Director since 2010, served on the Switching Operations Fatalities Analysis Group since 2009, and is Chairman of the Smart National Association of Legislative Directors. He has helped lead efforts to create a transportation safety task force in his state, assisted with the transition process of the administration of Governor Laura Kelly, and has served as a National Democratic Party delegate. Ty spoke with us about his work in Kansas, including two-person crew legislation, and the downsides of so-called precision scheduled railroading. PSR is really the railroad's ability to commit the oldest sins in the newest ways. It is a deregulatory process. It is a financial stock market shareholder process of squeezing blood from a diamond. PSR has been devastating to our industry, not only because of the impacts we've had with membership, but the deregulations that have come from the model. Brother Borgensen recently turned the dial on five decades in our union, marking his 50th year of membership on June 1st. He hired out as a switchman in 1970 and was soon promoted to conductor. He has been Smart TD's Nebraska State Legislative Director for the past 13 years, leading his state's legislative board for three terms. Prior to that, He was Assistant State Legislative Director for nearly two decades, and prior to that, held a number of officer positions in his home local of 872 in Omaha. He's also served as a safety coordinator and works with the union's risk reduction committee. Bob represents SMART in a state, Nebraska, with a very high concentration of TD members and works to bring greater public attention to the important work our members do. He regularly sees hundreds of SMART members unite in celebration and solidarity at Labor Day and Veterans Day parades and other events. He's also been a campaign manager on political campaigns, including for one very important person in his life, which I'm sure will come up as we have our discussion. Bob spoke with us about the negative impacts of long trains, 
efforts to move two-person crew legislation in Nebraska, and the innovative media and outreach tools SMART has recently used to bring attention to key rail safety issues in his state. We did do a media campaign on two-person crew. In cooperation with the International, we did television ads. First time we've ever done anything like that. In addition, listen for the open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers at the end of this episode. He responds to a question about what SMART is doing nationally to try and make two-person crew the law of the land, especially under new leadership at the Federal Railroad Administration that is no longer actively trying to block two-person crew regulations. This is a bipartisan issue. It's about worker safety. It's about the safety of the public and the communities that trains are traveling through. Ty Dragoo and Bob Borgeson, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you. Hello there. So, Ty, you are, I believe, a multi-generation uh, railroader. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how you got your start in the railroading? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a fifth-generation railroader. Uh, my family is hired out on Union Pacific Railroad and its predecessors. I was actually uh, in my second year of school at uh, Nebraska and um, sat down one night with my grandfather Christmas Eve at the table and was talking about other possibilities out there and of course he suggested the railroad. I decided actually Christmas morning to get on Union Pacific's website and applied. It's interesting the start of the new year I received an email back from someone that had known my family and uh, he was actually the superintendent of North Platte. And he told me, he said, if I was in North Platte the next week, that he'd hire me on the spot. So I drove up to North Platte, unbeknownst to my, uh, my dad. I hired out on Union Pacific Railroad in North Platte, Nebraska. I started my switching career up there. And within about a year and a half, had enough seniority to move back home to Beatrice, Nebraska, and uh, work out of my home local of uh, Marysville, Kansas. I hold seniority as a through freight conductor on Union Pacific out of Marysville. And once I got down to Marysville, I became really interested in the politics and the legislative side of our organization. I was approached by Don Lindsay. He was the former state director of Kansas, and he asked me if I would be interested in becoming the assistant state director. And of course, uh, that meant I had to run for office. But what was interesting at the time, the current LR was doing a very good job. He was a friend of mine by the name of Tim Gaspin. And in order for me to obviously be on the legislative board, I needed to have his position. So I went to lunch with him one day and I said, um, I was interested in the LR position. I told him why. He actually told me, he said, uh, I tell you what, let's go to the next lodge meeting and I'll step down. And if you will accept me to be the assistant LR, I'll teach you everything I know. I said, absolutely. And I thought that was just a wonderful thing. It was a guy by the name of Tim Gaspin. And of course, once I became the LR, I was eligible to be the assistant state director. We have 17 locals. So at the time we had 17 locals in Kansas. We, we now have 16. But uh, at our reorg meeting, the state director, Don Lindsay, uh, told the group, he said, uh, yeah, I got a young guy that's really interested in getting involved in the union and, and working hard and, and doing some good stuff. 
I'd like to teach him everything I know because I'm getting ready to retire. And of course, once he, once I retire, he'll step up. And of course we had, I think five rounds of balloting. And uh, after the fifth round, I was successful in becoming the assistant state director. And uh, every election since then, I've been reelected by acclamation. So I'm, I'm very proud of uh, my career in the union, proud of uh, what we've been able to accomplish here in Kansas. And again, having the family lineage in the railroad industry has given me a lot of insight as to what labor has done to protect our livelihoods and, and our safety. And that's something every day I go to work, I think about what can I do to make our lives better for our members. That's a, that's a pretty big deal there. I mean, especially going into sort of the idea that you had a, a mentor, uh, someone to kind of uh, lead the way. Is that uh, pretty common, you know, in your local and uh, actually in the state legislative arena? Do you see a lot of that happening? I, I think at the local level, I think it is. I mean, we all, everyone that uh, has become a member of our organization will show up to the union meeting, either uh, it's always one of two reasons: either they're they're upset about something and they want to get education about why things are the way they are, or they want to get involved. And our brothers and sisters are great people, and the mentoring that I received is something I think about every day. But you know, it's so much of show up and ask, and especially at the local level, I think you know our officer positions when they know that they've done it for a long time or you know, they're going to be retiring in a, in a few years, four years. They're always looking for someone to take on their wing and, and show. I see that especially um, with our local chairman and treasurers in our locals. Those are hard jobs you just don't get dropped into. You know, it takes time and training. And our organization, it, it's a fraternal organization. It's just that. And I've seen it and I'm proud of our organization's ability to mentor each other. Okay, Bob, let's uh, go on to you. Once again, welcome to the podcast. Can you give us a little bit of background uh, how you got started? You're going into, I think, five decades of railroading. Can you kind of tell us how that started way back when and uh, how things have changed? Well, okay, I will. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, Bob Borgerson here. I'm uh, hired out in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, at Gibson Yard as a switchman. I have uh, railroading in my family as well. My grandfather was a mechanical car repairman in Omaha and then down in Pacific Junction, Iowa. I hired out with a bunch of my friends on um, at Gibson. Uh, it was an interesting job. It was a fun job. And eventually I did become a, a conductor. I enjoyed all my, all my years uh, switching cars. Bob, you represent one of the largest populations of TD Freight Rail members there is in Nebraska, where you have two Class 1 railroads. You have Union Pacific and BNSF, carrier based out of Fort Worth down in Texas, but owned by a certain billionaire we all probably are familiar with, with roots in Nebraska, that being Warren Buffett. There's this process, you can call it that, you can call it a fad, called precision scheduled railroading. Can you tell us a little bit about it for those who are listening that don't know what it is? Yeah, I, uh, the Union Pacific, Wall Street barked at them and Union Pacific jumped. They uh, began this massive cost-cutting exercise that adversely affected not only our members, but also non-ops, uh, especially in North Platte, here in Nebraska anyway, especially in North Platte. When those non-ops, non-operating folks get cut off, that jeopardizes, in my opinion, that jeopardizes the safety of our folks 
the non-ops are much better trained in doing inspections of all different sorts that make sure that the equipment that our folks are running operates correctly. The UP has cut pretty pretty deep in North Platte. The, uh, they closed one of the humps for a while. That went back and forth. Uh, it, it's just quite a change from what most people are familiar with as railroading. So there you go. So when it comes to PSR, it's had an effect not just on our members, on smart members, but it's also had an effect on the public and on customers, real customers. How has it made things harder for them? Well, in my opinion, again, it, I think uh, the charges have gone up on uh, handling the, the freight for different folks. One aspect of it that is especially bad is the creation of these monster trains, these super trains that they run across Nebraska. We introduced a long train bill in Nebraska this year. Senator Lynn Walls from uh, Fremont was the uh, sponsor of it. Had a hearing in uh, in the uh, transportation committee, and they uh, refused to uh, bring it up for a vote. But we had good uh, commentary by our members in the hearing, and it is a problem. It's going to be a problem. Uh, I remember reading, I believe it was, uh, if not last year, maybe late in 2019, there were a lot of media reports out of, I think, Grand Island in particular, where we had some of those monster long trains uh, snarling traffic. If I'm not mistaken, uh, you had some involvement in trying to raise awareness on that. How did that go? We did. We uh, The Public Service Commission had a hearing. Uh, both BNSF and Union Pacific run into Grand Island or across at Grand Island. This time it was the Burlington Northern that was the uh, subject of the hearing. Here's an example of what goes on. So there's a lady who lives in Grand Island who lives right next to the tracks, right by a crossing, and she has a ring doorbell. And she recorded this crossing constantly being blocked. And she testified to the fact, they asked her numerous questions, and then other people also testified to the amount of time that these crossings were blocked in the city limits of Grand Island, Nebraska. So the BN train master, he gets up there and when it's his turn to uh, testify. And what's the guy say? He says, well, our data doesn't realize that. Our data doesn't show that, that these crossings are blocked. And I'll try to get you that information. Uh, that's what he said to the various uh, public service commissioners. But that's their mindset. So, Bob, do carriers seem to be having more disregard for the public since PSR was introduced? Yes, I think it is. It's, in many respects, it's a continuation, but I think it is. It's just kind of uh, in your face to run these massive trains and block these crossings uh, for so much longer. It's, uh, it's something to see. When it's time to put down your tools, take off your hard hat and tear into some gas station delicacies. Join Smart Local 110 Sheet Metal Workers on The Break Time Breakdown, where we'll cover everything from what it's like to work during a pandemic to why we should all be like ducks. Head over to www.smart110.org or search for us wherever you get your podcasts. We started a thing. You should check it out. Ty, you obviously are uh, close to where Bob is. Are things any different out there in Kansas? No, absolutely not. And, you know, PSR, going back to that, I want to hit on a moment. PSR is really the railroad's ability to commit the oldest sins in the newest ways. It is a deregulatory process. It is a financial stock market shareholder process of squeezing blood from a diamond. PSR has been devastating to our industry, not only because of the impacts we've had 
with membership, but the deregulations that have come from the model. PSR has created an environment where, at least in Kansas, and I think Bob probably sees this too, that shareholders' concerns are becoming the front burners instead of what public citizens' concerns are what safety laws are. It's something we're fighting every day here in Kansas. We had a yard closure in Kansas City where our presidents of our organization came down and walked an informational picket line with us. That was a direct result of PSR, of these yards being closed. And what is terrible about it is we see it every day because we're out there, right? We're working. This is our office, those yards, the cabs of the locomotives. We see the problems. But because the rail industry network is so large, it's taking time for the ramifications and recovering from COVID to see truly the devastation that PSR has caused industries. I think you're starting to see it as as industries come back. But, you know, when it comes to shippers, they're having a lot of concerns as well. You know, we have reports of boxcars full of freight, tank cars full of, of commodities that will actually pass locations multiple times en route because of the PSR switching model. So it's coming to a head, I believe. People are getting tired of it. The, the blocked crossing is just one very small issue that comes with PSR. Ty, you were able to do something that uh, that's considered pretty unique uh, in today's day and age of partisan gridlock. Uh, you're in the state of Kansas, which is considered a very conservative state, and somehow you were successful in getting the state legislature there to approve a two-person crew regulation. How was it that you were able to accomplish that? And who are some people who were there to help to assist you? So absolutely, we were successful in in doing that. And it it wasn't I, it was we for sure. We have, and with Bob on this podcast, I have no problem saying this, Kansas has the best state legislative board in our country. And our LRs got active, they got involved, um, reached out to legislators. But really where this all started, we are in the business of relationships on the legislative side. It is, it is our job to make those relationships, educate legislators on our issues. And where this started with our success was actually when Laura Kelly, which is now the governor of the state of Kansas, decided she was going to run for state Senate. And, you know, being a legislative director takes years of working to build relationships. And Kathleen Sebelius was the governor at the time, and she approached me. She said, hey, my neighbor actually is thinking about running for the state Senate. And she said, I'd like you to sit down with her, talk to her, and see if labor would be open to supporting her. So Laura Kelly was actually the neighbor of the former governor, uh, Kathleen Sebelius. We met with her, talked about her issues. And it was interesting, um, her husband is actually a sleep doctor. So she was already very aware of some of the fatigue issues that uh, railroaders face in our industry. So we uh, we decided to back her and uh, get some financial support her way. And that relationship started almost 10 years ago. So for 10 years of talking about the issues, having her introduce legislation for us in the legislature, when she approached me and asked how we would be receptive to her running for governor, 
of course, we were all on board. And the benefit of that was when and if she won governor, we knew that our issue two-person crew would be on the front burner. And of course, uh, she did win. And one of the campaign promises she made to myself and my executive board, I'll, I'll never forget, we met at a uh, diner in North Topeka, and it was her and five of my executive board members. And we talked about her issues, and she said, uh, it will be one of the first issues I address. And sure enough, she won, and she addressed it. And we promulgated a rulemaking through her DOT, through her Department of Transportation. And in Kansas, we have what's called administrative review. And once that rulemaking was made through the Department of Transportation, it had to go to our Rules and Regs Committee in the legislature. And that is a bipartisan committee where we would not get blocked by some of the railroad-friendly chairmen in the Transportation Committee. So we did a end runaround uh, through that. And, and again, that is just knowing through years of experience and working the state house, working those relationships, you learn how to get those things done. You don't go in there the first year, second year, and and you figure out how to do these things. So it was literally 10 years in the making, but uh, that's, that's how we got it done. Unfortunately, what I've been seeing as far as uh, the current status of the, the, the regulation is that there has been a little bit of uh, resistance uh, as far as it being put in place goes. Can you kind of explain the situation that you're dealing with out there, Ty? Absolutely. Uh, we have a saying in, in uh, the legislative side of our organization and actually throughout our organization that elections have consequences. And uh, again, going back to the administrative rules in our state, we have a, a thing called administrative review. And part of that review process, when rules are made uh, through a rulemaking process, the attorney general has the ability to strike it down. Well, Derek Schmidt is our attorney general, and he has received tens of thousands of dollars of donations from Watco, Union Pacific, Burlington Northern. And as you can expect, he, uh, he put the brakes on it. And the governor is currently in the middle of a lawsuit against our attorney general blocking the inaction of the two-person rulemaking. However, when the attorney general cited his reasoning for blocking the two-person rulemaking, he cited uh, Ron Batori's FRA decision to withdraw from the NPRM, notice of proposed rulemaking from the FRA. So here we go again. Elections have consequences. We now have a labor-friendly administrator posed to be uh, introduced and confirmed in the United States Senate, a guy by the name of Amit Bose. It is my expectation and my hope uh, through the good work of Greg Hines and Jared Casty in, in Washington, D.C., that we will see that NPRM reissued. And I hope, it is my hope once that happens, and he has confirmed that uh, the lawsuit will be withdrawn. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see. Bob, you focused your efforts working on both two-person crew legislation and long-term legislation. What is the current state of your efforts there? Well, here in the state of Nebraska, we've introduced the two-person crew bill numerous times. We work in two-year sessions. Every bill gets a hearing. 
So uh, when the bill is introduced, it's assigned to whatever committee the uh, reference committee thinks it should go to. And we don't get a, a fair shot there. Our bill should go to business and labor. They always send it to transportation. Transportation is not a friendly committee for us. Uh, the last two-year session, they had a hearing on our bill and then never, never took a vote. And I'm afraid that's what uh, the fate of our, our bill will be again this year. We did do a media campaign on two-person crew. In cooperation with the International, we did television ads. First time we've ever done anything like that. Uh, we did the uh, runaway train ad in North Platte, Lincoln, and Omaha. It was pretty darn awesome. We also did some social media, some social fencing. A lot of this stuff I had never heard of prior to this. And social fencing was when we fenced in the Capitol electronically and UP headquarters in downtown Omaha. What it does is make sure that our ad is seen by devices that are within the, that fence. So pretty happy with that. We haven't been able to get the bill out of committee. Legislature is adjourning on Thursday. So um, the fight continues. Bob, I got to tell you, I like that about the, the geofencing and fencing in the state capital and fencing in the state legislators. It's, it's a really good way of cutting through the noise and ensuring that the right people are hearing your message and you're not spending money and spending funds and resources on things that are not going to help members. But at the same time, it's directly affecting and building positive results for members and using the members' money wisely, which is always a good thing. Yeah, I agree with that, Paul. It's uh, something different that had not been done before, and we need to do more and different things. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Ty, how difficult is it for you to kind of cut through the noise there at Railroad Central as well uh, out in Kansas? You know, there's a big presence out there. What are some of the strategies that you're employing? I know that you're really big on building the political relationships. Uh, how do you mobilize your folks? So that, that's an excellent question. And in fact, two very big reasons for our ability to get that done in Kansas are on this podcast, yourself, Ben, and Paul. I've got to give you two a shout out because every time we've asked for something new or a way of thinking about approaching not only our members, but our community and our legislators differently, you guys have always stepped up to the plate and said, yes, let's make that happen. So a big shout out to you guys and, and thanks for what you do. But, you know, piggybacking on what Bob just said, the geofencing is a new frontier. That is something that we are going to use uh, with Dean Mitchell, uh, not only through our GOTV efforts, but this is something that we can target uh, during our legislative sessions. Unlike Nebraska, we are in session every year and we don't have a constitutional requirement to adjourn. So our sessions have lasted from January to August sometimes. We never know when or if we're going to get out. It's like the song Hotel California. You, you can check in, but you can never leave. The geofencing allows us to really focus. And when I say focus, I talk about laser focus. I can set up a campaign within one city block. And it just so happens that our state legislature, our state house is one city block. So when we talk about using our members dues efficiently and effectively, geofencing is something that really 
really approaches that. We can have a media campaign to where, you know, we all have our social media accounts. We're scrolling through our cell phones and those ads pop up, banner ads on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We can really laser focus to where our money is only spent in that one square city box. So during a legislative campaign or a moment in the session where something can change instantly, you know, we can have a hearing scheduled for 11.59 at midnight the next day. We can have a media campaign up and running to where these legislators can see our issues. So it's a tool we plan on using more and more of. Our email campaigns have been getting better and better. Paul introduced us to a texting program that has just been extremely useful in the state. I think it's one of those things we go back to what we do at the lodge and what we do as a fraternal organization. Transparency and communication. The more we communicate with our members, the more we tell them what it is we're doing and why we're doing it, the more buy-in we get and an understanding of, yes, we need to be doing that. We need to be moving forward. So exciting stuff going on. And uh, our international has been a big partner in that. And we thank them. Well, thank you for the props there, Ty. You know, we appreciate the recognition and, you know, that's our main job here in the communications department, both, you know, at the International in Washington and out in Ohio. Uh, You know, we're here to serve the members and, you know, I look at it as that everyone is my boss. So if you need assistance, uh, you come and you ask us and we will do our best to fulfill any needs that you need. But, uh, you know, talking about buy-in, Bob, since the early days of the smart merger, you have been supremely successful in getting both the sheet metal and the TD members to be present when it comes to having union-wide events in your state. Please kind of tell us a little bit about how that came about, how you've been able to build the solidarity among both segments of our union. Okay. Well, for about 25 years, we've been an active participant in the Omaha Labor Day Parade. The very first year, we used a 47 LaFrance, American LaFrance fire truck that I owned at the time. But uh, eventually, I bought a caboose thing. Looks like a caboose that you drive. I bought it outside of some guy outside of Cleveland, Ohio had it. It The very first thing I ever bought off the internet. So then we used that. And then, lo and behold, I found a four-piece parade train that the Burlington Northern had built at Havelock Shops back in the day. They had sold it to a gentleman in Crete, Nebraska. So we started hiring him to be in the parades with this. And the next thing you know, he got older and I convinced him to sell it to us because we would always maintain that train in parades. So anyway, as we uh, became part of SMART, I moved our office into Local 3's hall here in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where I am now. And we always march together with the sheet metal guys in that parade. Another interesting thing that we do is uh, a key district in a legislative race where for uh, Senator Steve Lathrop, it was uh, taken on an incumbent Republican and uh, our combined efforts were what got him through. So we try to work as as much as we can. And uh, we had uh, President Joe came up and uh, was in our parade with us back in the day. It, it's a kind of a big deal. So. Joe Nigro was the last president to come. We're hoping to see others uh, show up in the near future. Hey folks, it's Judy Ansel from the Heartland Labor Forum in Kansas City. You can find us at kkfi.org. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. 
Just go to laborradionetwork.org and you'll find a grid of logos for shows. Click on any one for history, news, politics, or arts, all about the most neglected topic in the corporate media, workers. Check out our show on kkfi.org and all the shows at laborradionetwork.org. Bob, one of the things that you mentioned is your experience with political campaigns. There's a certain very important person in your life who's run for political office a couple times. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's my my lovely bride, uh, Marianne Borgeson. She's a seven-term county commissioner here in Douglas County. She's uh, the past president of the National Association of County Officials. She's uh, pretty darn impressive. We've been uh, having a few lunchers lately uh, with people wanting her to run in the um, Republican governor's race uh, next year. And I don't know if that'll happen, but she's at least thinking about it. That's what I do. I, I like to do uh, political campaigns, and uh, Marianne lets me run hers uh, anytime she's unopposed. <laughs> it's a good one. So one other thing that we wanted to ask, and this goes out to, to both of you, what can our members uh, as an organization of SMART, what can we do to help both of your efforts out there collectively improve and amplify our messages out there for the transportation division deep in the heart of railroad country? Well, on the political end of things, we have a good turnout amongst our members as for voting participation. We can always do better. We can always do better. One thing, especially here in Nebraska, is we have to find a way to better communicate what the two parties mean to working people. The victory in the Ninth Circuit was such a huge thing, and it really underscored exactly what we talk about when we say that politics matters. The prior administration's uh, FRA administrator would have appealed that decision, the suit against FRA. But since it was a Biden FRA administration, it didn't get appealed. And it's important. It's important. So those two-person crew bills in the, some of the Western states were allowed to, to go into effect. And it's a big deal. And Ty, same question to you. What as an organization can SMART do in order to get our message out a little bit better? And how can we help you? So I think there, there's definitely silos to this question, and let me try to break them down, at, at least from my level where I see them. Our international, for one, one of the things that, that they do and they're, they're very good at doing is what I discussed earlier. When we are in our respective states needing tools or ideas or, or projects to be handled, the ability to go to international and say, I got this big project that I need help uh, funding or working on or what types of tools have you seen at the national level that have been effective in doing that. So when it comes to our state campaigns and our, our state resources, international has been very effective uh, when it comes to that. Our current president, uh, transportation, Jeremy Ferguson, every time we have called up there saying, you know, we're thinking about doing this, we're going to need help. The response has always been, we will do everything we can to, to get you guys the help you need. So that that has been very refreshing. The same with you, Ben and Paul. We thank you for that. When it comes to the state boards in that silo, I think Bob hit the nail on the head. I have this motto that's that I say, you can never communicate too effectively. I will not go to our locals and say, I'm here to educate the members. I think when we say we're going to educate our members, uh, especially in a red state like Kansas, 
you know, they take offense to that. And rightfully so. When when you go in and you tell someone, we're going to educate you on the issues, you're really telling them that they don't know what they're talking about. But Bob hit the nail on the head when he said, we have to explain to our members what the differences are between the two parties when it comes to labor issues. You know, that that really is something at the state director level we've got to focus on and, and do better at. The Republican Party, they come up with smoke screens and they're very, very effective at, at doing this. You know, we'll be talking about real policy issues, things that will change people's lives, either in taxes or infrastructure planning or rules of regs, legislation, laws. And then they'll throw out some smoke screen about abortion or they'll throw out some issue about we're going to take a gun. They bring them up because they're effective in getting people to focus not on the issues and the policy at hand, but instead to turn to that. So when we talk to our members about what the differences are in the two parties when it comes to labor issues, I think that's something we need to continue to do better at. At the local level, that silo, I really look for engagement. You know, there's a lot of times where our meetings will not be attended uh, very well unless you post something on the bulletin board that we're going to change miles or something like that. We can get better at making sure our brothers and sisters show up to the meetings, get the information that they need, reach out and ask questions. As state directors, and I believe the same for general chairman, we have a responsibility to answer questions, be accountable to our members, to our locals. So we need to be available to them. We need to be at the local meetings answering these questions. And I think when those two things happen, you create this environment of knowing what is going on. And when everyone is on the same page, it's a lot easier to move forward. It's a lot easier to go in and explain to them where their PAC dollars go, where their union dollars go. People get on board a lot quicker that way. So I think communication is really key at the local level and showing up and being there, being able to answer questions and get members' issues uh, resolved. And that in turn, hopefully will foster more attendance at our meetings. I couldn't have said that any better myself. That really hits the nail on the head. And I think when it comes to getting people activated and making sure everybody feels included and everybody's on the same page, that really that really goes a long way. A lot of the efforts and a lot of the rubber meets the road. And I apologize for using a terminology that goes around road rather than freight I and mean, rather than rail. It makes a lot of sense. You know, it happens at the local level. And a lot of that is face-to-face communications and face-to-face conversations we have with people. That's absolutely right, Paul, and I agree. And it really is when we have an international structured, an organization structured the way we do, I really do believe there are these silos. And, you know, like every good farmer in the Midwest, we put our grain in multiple silos. We don't put them all in one silo. So we have to use all our silos. We need to let international do what international does. We need to let our general chairman and our state boards do what they need to do. We need to let our locals do what they need to do. And, you you know, it's that Arthurian legend, right? In serving each other, we serve ourselves. If we all work together and we all do what we're good at, we'll all meet in the middle and we're going to have an effective organization. I would like to add something about the uh, political end of things. It's a generality what the two parties do, that one's better for us than the other. However, in the state of Nebraska, you can't be successful at the legislative level without having support of some Republicans. So when we have Republicans that support labor's issues, another one is uh, Congressman Don Bacon. Ever since he started, before he was elected, he's been a proponent of two-person crew, before he was even elected. 
right after he won the Republican primary. We need uh, Republicans that will support our labor issues as well. I just wanted to throw that in. No, you're absolutely right, Bob. I mean, in Kansas, we made sure that Republicans carried our two-person regulations. Senator Carolyn McGinn and J.R. Clays, both Republican sponsors. Again, going back to, we need to communicate with our members what it means with the two parties when it comes to labor issues. You know, get, get all that other stuff out of the way. But when we sat down and we talked to legislators in Kansas, we're not talking about guns, abortion, LGBT rights. We're talking about what are they going to do when it comes to rail issues? What are they going to do when it comes to sheet metal issues? When we get the right answers, we're going to support them. We don't care if there's an R, D, I, whatever next to their name. We care about our issues. And being in a, a red state like Bob is, it's vitally important when we're facing the numbers that we are to make Republican friends. And we've been very effective in doing that. As I, I think you can see, we discussed earlier on the podcast, getting rules through our committees here. So it definitely is something that we need to uh, continue to do in the Midwest states. And that's going to be the major strategy in order to get this, to fight against things such as PSR, against one-person crews. These things are not partisan issues. We've had polls and surveys, and uh, you know, I can't tell you the number of surveys that we've had taken where we've talked to the general public that these issues of rail safety, of transit safety, these are not partisan issues, nor should they be. And it's going to take common ground and not this polarization in order to have any progress made against the industry and the practices they have decided to undertake. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ty. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Bob, for taking the time. All right, guys. Thanks. Job nice. Thank you. See ya. You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. Now we move on to our open mic segment uh, with General President Sellers. GP Sellers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Paul and Michael, for inviting me to the open mic segment again. I look forward to our question. So this question comes from a TD member. Uh, It was submitted by email. Now that President Biden has appointed a new head of the Federal Railroad Administration, who is not actively working to undermine and block state-level two-person crew laws, as his Trump-appointed predecessor was, what is SMART doing nationally to help make two-person crews the law of the land? Wow, great question, and thank you for submitting that. First, in your question, and really in the answer, underscores once again how elections have consequences. This is an administration that understands and cares about worker and safety values, and they are not independent issues. President Biden appointed a new head of the FRA, Amit Bowles. In fact, it was one of the first actions as his presidency, which was done on his second day in office. Just for some quick recent history, Under the Obama administration, the FRA had issued proposed rulemaking regarding two-person crew that was scheduled to come out in 2016. Then, under the Trump FRA, 
they effectively took the proposed two-person crew rule and threw it in the trash. In addition, the Trump FRA went through steps to further try to block or preempt states from implementing any laws or regulations concerning freight train crew sites. If successful, this effort would have overridden all the state-level laws already passed mandating two-person crew, including laws already in place in Nevada and Illinois and six other states. Fortunately, in addition to the new FRA leadership, in February, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit overturned the ruling in support of the FRA's efforts to block two-person crew law. Smart and other transportation unions have sued the FRA to challenge that preemption decision. In short, we won the case, and the court's decision effectively rolled back one of the most blatant attacks on workers' safety from the previous administration. Overall, the new FRA leadership is a stark contrast with that of the Trump administration. Instead of stonewalling and ignoring safety concerns, the Biden administration wants to meet with us. They want to listen to our issues, our perspective, and our expertise. We continue to push two-person crew at the state level across our country and trying to make it the law of the land. We're constantly making headway, not only in blue states, but also in states where Republicans control the legislature. This is a bipartisan issue. It's about worker safety. It's about the safety of the public and the communities that trains are traveling through. With the help of our membership and friends, politicians of all points of view are backing two-person crew bills. Having two trained and certified personnel in our trains to deal with and avoid dangerous situations is far safer for all of us. In Kansas, where Republicans control the legislature, our lobbying and grassroots mobilizations efforts are critical to passing two-person crew bill. Implementation being blocked by the state attorney general. But with hard work and a coordinated effort, we are confident we will ultimately prevail. In Nebraska, a two-person crew bill had a first-time hearing in the state house. We couldn't get the floor vote this time, but we are steadily building support among elected officers there. Every week, SMART is working on this issue at both the federal and state level, all across our country. That includes talking with the FRA about reissuing the crew staffing rule at a national level. SMART members reaching out to their state elected officials in support of two-person crew will be critical to our chances of success. Overall, two-person crew is a top priority for our members and a top policy priority for our union. Remember, elections have consequences. Thank you for all of your help on this very important issue. And thank you for that question. Thank you very much, GP Sellers. And, you know, we'll continue the fight in a number of states. I know there are about 14 states that are looking to get two-person crew legislation passed. So this effort will continue. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the question. And uh, it really does take all of us. It takes all of us. We've set up real good systems so that we can contact our state leaders at a federal level and at a state level. So we need to mobilize our membership on this very important issue and make sure that uh, we continue to inflict the leverage of 203,000 members on this very important issue. Thank you.